everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk, brought to you by co-lead pastor, Alison Grunendike. He is risen. Wonderful. Yes, that deserves some clapping. That's excellent. That's excellent. Good morning, everybody. Happy Easter. You guys look lovely. All right. Yes, yes. Some beautiful dresses out there. If you're like me, it's a little too chilly for that. So I thought, no thanks. But this is such a wonderful, wonderful day to be together. Um, I am just excited to bring the message of the gospel and the kingdom this morning and to celebrate baptisms with you all. Um, Easter is one of those things that I think whether you uh, have been in the church your whole life, maybe you're new to church, you might have some idea about the meaning of what we're actually celebrating today, but I hope that we can just come at it with fresh eyes uh, this morning with the Spirit's help to see that actually the thing that is good news uh, on the surface doesn't always look like good news. So that's what we're going to do this morning. So uh, just pray with me, if you will. Come, Holy Spirit. God, we invite you to bring this event of your death and resurrection into full focus for us this morning. God, I pray whatever uh, posture or attitude that we're bringing into this space, that you would cause an openness in our hearts and our minds to receive your truth, to receive your love, to receive your goodness, even in the places that we did not think it possible. We welcome you this morning. Come and teach us, God. Amen. So, uh, We love to actually open our Bibles here at the Vineyard. So if you have one along, that would be awesome. You can open up to John chapter 20. If you don't, uh, go ahead and head to the back. Lovely women are demonstrating this for you right now. Excellent. Grab those. And the page number is going to be up on the screen for you. Um, I just feel really compelled by the story this morning. So if you're okay with it, we're going to read almost the entire chapter of John chapter 20. Uh, So if you pay attention best by actually reading along with the text with me, that's awesome. If you want to engage your imagination, I would invite you to listen to these stories, picturing Jesus in your mind picturing the disciples in your mind, what this must have been like, felt like, smelled like, sounded like, however that you can access this today. Uh, because then I just want to pull out three kind of insights um, for us and, and see what God will do. All right? So we're going to read John chapter 20. This is from the NLT. Again, the page number is on the screen. Here we go. is entitled The Resurrection. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found the stone had been rolled away 
from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. John is bragging here that he's faster than Peter. I love this. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He just runs head on in there. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there while the cloth that had covered Jesus's head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first, wink, wink, he still won't let that go, <laughs> went in and he saw and he believed. For until then, they hadn't understood the scriptures that Jesus said he must rise from the dead. And then they went home. That's also kind of funny. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she stood and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave. Jesus asked her, who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried, at, cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. And then she gave them his message. And next we have Jesus appearing to his disciples. It says, that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. And as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and in his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, then they are forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. And then last, my favorite encounter here. Jesus appears to Thomas. 
One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands and put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked. But suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into my wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me, but blessed are those who believe without seeing me. I hope that some of that felt fresh to you as you listened. I think there were a few things that really have stood out to me as I have encountered this passage over and over and over again. It's in, you know, all the Gospels have different accounts of this, but a few things I feel like Jesus just wants to tell us this morning on this Easter. And the first is that resurrection happens in the dark. It's in the middle of the night while it's still dark, when Mary goes out and finds that the tomb is empty. And this should be a little shocking to us because I think, you know, I imagine if I've got the best news in all of history, the thing that's going to continue to be the best news in all the world over and over and over and, and told into generations and centuries that you would want to resurrect, if you were Jesus, with the most eyes possible on you with a lot of fanfare, with a lot of noise, with a lot of bright lights, with uh, the most famous people all gathered to hear and witness and see that Jesus wasn't joking when he said he was going to return. But he, he, he is risen from the dead in the middle of the night it's quiet. The only people who know about this are if you're awake and sobbing and distraught over this news. And so Mary, this is the condition of her heart when she meets Jesus in the resurrection. She is completely broken. The other disciples have maybe an ounce of faith. Mary has none. She is wandering around completely bewildered when she goes to visit the gravesite of her Lord, and he's not there. And it's just precisely in these moments of darkness and confusion and pain and suffering that Jesus shows up. This is the space where pain and hope meet. 
She's experienced the loss of her Lord. And right in the middle of that darkest moment, she's wrecked with grief. She's confused. Jesus shows up. And she doesn't even recognize that it's him, right? And partly you would think, well, again, that's because it's dark. Yes, maybe, but also he is disfigured. She, she remembers him as this youth, youthful, joyous Jesus, and he is mangled from his experience on the cross, and she is not even able, in her confusion and in her doubt, to consider that he might be standing right there in his body with her in that darkness of the night. And they're even interacting, right? They're having a conversation. She's, she's thinking he's the gardener, and she's talking to him, and she's asking him, where did, you, where did you take my Lord? Just tell me where he is. I want to go get him. And she's turning away because, again, she just doesn't have faith in that moment. And when is it that she realizes that it's Jesus? It's when he says her name. Right? He speaks, Mary. And then she says, oh, you are my teacher. I recognize you. It is in these moments where God comes and says, I know your name. I know your pain. I know your grief. I know the confusion. It's this beautiful, beautiful piece of the resurrection. I'm going to go quickly through one other point because I want to really land on this last one here. Next, the disciples are meeting in... Uh, a home, most likely, with the doors locked. I love this. They are terrified, it says, of the Jewish leaders. And probably, in another way, they're scared of the, you know, not just the religious establishment, but the government, too, because they think, if I follow Jesus, whatever they've just done to him is probably coming to me next. And they are terrified. It's another dark scene. They are faced with, in that moment, their worst fears. And yet, what happens? It says, suddenly, Jesus was just there with them. And they're all looking around like, this guy's got to be a ghost because he just came through the wall. I don't know how this is happening, right? He is with us, and he comes and he says, peace, and he addresses their fears right away. But you've got to be thinking and imagining, like, I don't know if this is good news. If Jesus can appear behind the locked door without even touching the handle, I'm not sure if that's, like, awesome or terrifying, right? That's what I'm thinking when I'm reading this. And isn't that just so? It's, it's just this beautiful message of Jesus saying, resurrection happens when you're not doing anything religious. You're not doing, they're not praying, they're not worshiping that we know of, they're not reading their Bibles, they're not out evangelizing people, they're just hiding. And Jesus just comes and shows up and says, hey guys, this is the first time they have seen him. And he just cuts right through the fear and the doubt 
They didn't invite him there. But resurrection shows up. I don't want to spend the rest of our time really looking at how does Jesus show up. And he shows up in a body with scars. In a body with scars. I think one of the most significant pieces of our Christian faith and our theology is that we serve and follow a God who has a body. It's this idea of incarnation, which means enfleshment, which means Jesus came as a baby. And if that wasn't crazy enough that the God of the universe says, I'm going to come and be just like you in your physicality, he also was raised to life again in a body. And I don't know if you caught this. I mean, it took me a while to really let the reality of his scars sink in. This is just not something that I imagine Jesus looking scarred and mangled when he returns. I I imagine him raising up uh, glowing and smiling, which he was. But his scars remained. And the Bible tells us that his body uh, was a glorified one when he's resurrected, when he comes back to life. And again, I would think that means just beautifully perfected, like airbrushed magazine quality body, right? That's what you would think Jesus would come back with. But his scars are not glossed over. They're not deleted from his body. Right now, Jesus is alive in heaven with a body that is scarred. And I just want to spend some time thinking about, like, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for you? Have you considered that the pain and the suffering is actually still represented in the body of Jesus that was offered to you and that is continually offered to you now? What does this mean for the scars that you have? And maybe, you know, God would draw some of those to your mind right now. Physical scars, emotional scars. What does this mean for the things that you've endured, that I've endured, but also the scars that you've caused people? This has huge implications for us. And, you know, I love reading these three stories all together because we see Mary's disorientation, right? She's so confused. She's so disoriented. We see the disciples hiding in their fear. So we've got confusion. We've got fear. And then we've got doubt, the doubt of Thomas, who says, my friends are telling me this is a real thing. This actually happened. He doesn't even go with them the first time. And yet, Resurrection happens to all these men and women. It doesn't happen in the places where you are super confident and have your life together. It happens where you're doubting. I want you to hear this this morning. Resurrection does not happen to us in the places where we are happy, where we are successful, where things are going brilliantly in our lives. 
It happens when we're terrified. It happens when we are wrecked with our own grief and pain and sorrow. And that's because resurrection proclaims first death over our life and then life. We, you don't get life without the death first. And this is not a popular idea, right? None of us like this. We have done just what um, the religious leaders did. You know, when they buried Jesus in the tomb, they said, we've got to secure this thing against all possibility that Jesus might actually, the guy that we just killed, might actually wake up, take his linens off, and come out in power. Like, in all of our humanness, we want to shield ourselves against that possibility because then we have to face the reality that we have deep need, that we actually are very, very dead without Jesus. There's a Swiss theologian, Karl Barth, and he puts it this way. The quote will go up on the screen. He says, resurrection, it's resurrection, not progress, not evolution, not enlightenment, but a call from heaven to us that says, rise up. You are dead, but I will give you life. This is what is proclaimed here, and it is the only way the world can be saved. Our hope, our salvation, the thing we're celebrating on Easter, the thing that we stand and proclaim with our life is a God who is coming to make all things new, not by erasing all the badness and all the pain, but by healing it, by healing it. And this is why we cannot live in denial of all the bad and the tragedy and the crap, for lack of a better word, that is happening to us, right? To, to pretend like, nah, my past isn't really part of my story. You know, that's a popular post I see on social media all the time right now, like, let's just leave the past in the past, I'm over it, I'm moving on. No. The fact is, our lives are falling apart without Jesus. And if you think otherwise, I'm just inviting you to consider today that you don't get resurrection without death first. Goodness is not pretending that badness doesn't exist. There is no ounce of denial in Jesus' life and in his body. His scars mean that he doesn't just know about your pain from his, like, all-knowing mind because he's watching you on a security camera. Like, sometimes I think about that. I'm like, did you see that? Did you see what just happened to me, God? Oh, yes, because you can, like, get your cameras on everybody. You can scan them from where you're hanging out in heaven. No. He knows by his experience. And he carries that with him every day in his body. Jesus knows what it means to be tortured. He knows what it means to be alone. He knows what it means to be betrayed. 
And isn't it interesting? Thomas is, is seeing this happen, and he just still needs more proof. He's like, no, you can tell me all about it. Jesus is standing right there, and still the doubt is, is overtaking him in that moment. And he says, I won't believe until I can touch you. And it's in the face of Thomas's doubt that Jesus just cuts right through that with an offer of his scarred hands and his scarred side. It's in the middle of Thomas's doubt where Jesus gives this invitation uh, to come close. Isn't that interesting? Like, no other God would use your pain and brokenness as an invitation for intimacy. Like, Jesus is saying, come close to me. And the craziest thing, you guys, is in the Gospels, you read about the whole life of Jesus, his whole ministry. What's he doing? He's walking around, touching people. He's healing them. He's extending his physical body to come in contact with theirs and to offer life. And I just love that in his death and resurrection, he is flipping this story on its head. He flips the script. He says, no, Thomas, you touch me. And and we're not really told directly that Thomas does actually go ahead and do that, right? But I think it's implied because you see Um, in his response, my Lord and my God, that he has some actual faith. He's he's acting upon something, and then his faith comes into into reality. It's just, it's in his embracing of suffering that he actually understands who Jesus is in that moment. And as I just continue to just read this and reread it, there is... A word here, Let's see what verse it's in, 27, Jesus says to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. So there's an invitation to touch him and look and consider his scars. Put your hand into, this is weird, right, into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. And that just really struck me as odd because I thought, well, you, scars aren't really something you can like put your hand into, right? There's, it's not like this is an open, gaping wound that's still bleeding because if that was, that'd just be weird and gross. I don't think that's what's happening. I think uh, John, because he's pretty funny and likes to give details, would have told us a little bit more gory version if that was the case. But he doesn't. He leaves that out. So what is going on with this word into? Well, when I looked it up, it's actually a word in the Greek that is used throughout a lot of the New Testament. But John loves this word. He starts his gospel with this word. He ends it with this word. And it's this idea. It's the same word that he uses when he says light has come into the world. He also uses it when he says God sent his son into the world. Not to condemn it, but to save it. So what Jesus is really saying here, this is crazy. 
is he's saying, put all your earthly doubt and pain and suffering and confusion and anger into the realities of heaven. And oh, by the way, all of that is encompassed and found in me, in my person, in my body. It's fully available to you. Touch my scars because they're the place where heaven and earth meet. They're the place where hope and pain meet. Did you guys know that there's just no better gift than that of being healed? That's the journey that we're all on together in this community. That is why you hear us as your pastors, hopefully, encouraging you guys over and over and over, share your stories of grief and loss and pain and challenge and disappointment and discouragement. Talk about your scars. There's actually no reason to hide. That is what I hear in the message of Easter this morning. There's no reason to hide. Jesus shows up scarred, and he's our model of how to get the good life. So we don't need to spend time trying to airbrush the outside when Jesus is literally offering you his broken, mangled, bruised, cut body. I just kind of think scars are beautiful. I do. And I don't know if it has just been my years in, in rehab setting that, that helped me see that. But, you know, here's the beautiful thing. We all have really unique stories. The way that you get scarred in life is not the same as the way I get scarred in life. But the thing we share is that we all have marks from when we were hurt, right? My patients all had marks of when their skulls were cut open to have a life-saving surgery to stop the bleeding that was happening in their brains. I worked in brain injury rehab and in cancer rehab, so they were either cutting out cancer, and I know that that story is true for some of you in this room. You actually have scars on your body where signs of illness and death and decay were removed from you, right? There are people in this room that have scars from accidents that they you know, happened, <laughs> accidents happen, right? Just, or just from being careless or um, overestimating your own abilities, right? Like, I'm getting older, but playing a game of pickup basketball sounds great, and I can still, I still got ups, so you jump and then you fall and you tear your ACL trying to get that sweet rebound that would have been really epic had you not twisted your knee, right? Like, life just happens, even if, we're not trying. We cannot insulate and, and isolate ourselves from pain in this life. I think my best scar was from running in excitement as a kid because my mom had just made a pan of brownies. This is so dumb. I know. I was like, this is going to be awesome. And she was going to let me eat the brownies before lunch. Um, dessert first, always a good idea. So I went tearing down the hallway and there was this rug that bridged the, the threshold between the carpet and the linoleum. And I just slipped on the rug, went skating across the kitchen floor on my butt and 
hit my knee into the corner of the kitchen cabinet and it just like ripped a huge piece of flesh backwards. And because I was little, I just picked at it all the time, like they tell you not to. So I have a pretty gnarly scar here. That's probably my best scar story, right? So there are the ones that we can see, but there are also the ones we can't see. There are the ones that you carry in your heart. And probably, I say that's my best outward scar story, but the scars of losing babies before they were ever born. Those are with me, the scars of um, just deep betrayal from people who said they were friends and turned out not to be. Life just happens. We're going to get beat up when we're following Jesus. And I, I'm saying that with a smile on my face because I, like, I know your stories. I love our church because you share your stories with me. And I know there are people in here that are feeling super beat up today. Like the circumstances of life are just coming at you faster than you have energy or, or know what to do with or know how to respond. But if we can't escape being hurt, then I don't want you to try to escape being healed either. I don't want you to miss that. It's painful, but it's worth it. And, and death leaves a mark on us. But because of Jesus, those marks tell a story of hope. They tell a story of healing. And, you know, I just said, like, the healing process is painful. I'm sure if you've, any of you have done PT or any kind of rehab, it is painful to fix your body, right? But the best part of, of knowing that Jesus has scars and that we are also scarred is that scars aren't painful, Right? The wound was, the healing was, but the scar itself, you can touch it. It's not painful. It's not oozing things anymore. <laughs> it's a sign that, yes, something has been deeply hurt, but it's also a sign that something has been deeply healed. And Jesus himself keeps those marks of his absolute worst day because they show his glory. And that's where I would end. A, a God with scars is the good news of Easter. That is what we are celebrating today. This is the Christian hope. It's not self-improvement. It's not the hope of overcoming by your own financial status, by your celebrity, by your talent, by your connections that you have. It's not even the hope of like working really, really hard to earn your healing and earn your victory. It's the hope of a scarred Jesus. And so like him, we can glory in our sufferings. And I'll leave you with this. This is 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 10. It says, we are hard pressed on every side. It's pain. But not crushed. Hope. Perplexed pain, but not in despair, hope, persecuted, pain, but not abandoned, hope, struck down, pain, but not destroyed,
we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. It's a beautiful reminder this morning that you cannot separate these two experiences. It's part of our humanity, and Jesus came to live that same experience with us. And and really, this is exactly what baptism means. This is what we're going to celebrate in just a moment. Going under the water signifies that we're united with Jesus in his death. And then as these children will be raised back up out of the water this morning, this signifies that Jesus was brought back to life, and they too have a new life in trusting and staying close to Jesus. And the only thing that makes us ready for baptism is professing faith in Jesus, is proclaiming, just like Mary did, Rabboni, just like Thomas did, my Lord and my God. That is what they are doing. These kiddos are doing this morning. And I'm going to ask them that. Do you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he raised God from the dead. And they're going to say yes. I'm not going to hear that part because I'm not going to be Mike. They're going to say yes. And the beautiful thing about this is they don't fully understand what that means. None of us do, but it's genuine faith. There is genuine faith that's being displayed, and that is all that it takes. They have a lifetime of figuring out their theology. What do I believe? And who do I think God is? But that is actually not what saves us, and it's not what brings resurrection about in our life. Jesus comes in the middle of the confusion, in the middle of the doubt, in the middle of I'm still figuring it out and working it out, and says, touch my scars. And the Bible tells us that part of The baptism celebration is sharing this good news with other people. So we have uh, interviewed the kiddos this morning. They're going to take a minute to share with you. uh, And then we're going to worship together. And we're just going to commit as a family to walking out this life of faith together with these children. So let's pray. God, I just... Pray that as we hear from Charlotte and Malachi and Rachel this morning, that their expressions of faith would stir in us the same. God, that that we would examine our hearts and ask, where do I need to say that again? Or where do I maybe need to say that for the first time? Come, Holy Spirit, help us to listen. Help us to engage this morning. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.